You're listening to the Typical Trends Podcast, where we talk about all things mental health, body image, inclusivity, and making conversations around these topics more typical to have. Celeste Simone and Michael Orlin, welcome to the Typical Trends Podcast. <laughs> Am I dreaming? <laughs> Is it a dream? <laughs> How are I'm you? Daily. How are you guys? I can't be in my body, but I'm totally listening and concentrating. Let me see, Jinx. Let me see, Jinx. Here's my girl. Hold on. Look, she just see. got her walk. Oh. Hi, honey. Hi, baby girl. Hello, you little monkey. Monkey. <laughs> Hi, Haley. Watch, Hi. It, watch, 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 Haley. Watch. Who's the sleepy girl? Oh, you go sleepy. Okay, sleepy girl. Okay. Good night. Good night. I have them on FaceTime. I have them on FaceTime. You guys don't get to see how beautiful they look right now, unfortunately. But um, I literally got on here and I was like, I literally want to be pinched right now. <laughs> I like, I miss Celeste like you don't even know. And Michael Orlin, I haven't seen him in even longer than Celeste. But um, I have had the privilege of having these two in my life since a long, long time ago. And I watched them from afar, and I love them even more than I did the first time I met them, even watching them from afar. Um, I met Celeste when I was doing a performance with past American Idols, and apparently I looked like her when she was little too, and it became us meant to be. (laughs) And I got the privilege of meeting Michael through a workshop that Celeste ran. So uh, if you guys want to say hello. Wait, didn't you meet, (laughs) didn't Michael play that show in Jersey? Yeah, yeah, but I, like, actually met him, like, got to talk to him and got to, like, actually spend time with him in the workshop, I would say. Like, I feel like we officially met in the workshop. Hello, Haley. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Mikey. Hello. Haley. And Celeste and Michael are best friends, so whichever one of you guys want to um, talk about how it is that you two met. So, it's you know, such a great story. I'll let Michael tell. Dustin <laughs> and I met in um, way before you were born, Haley. <laughs> um, it was like it, it was before there were cell phones, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think before there were computers. <laughs> I know we didn't know what they were, and um, we met in the early '80s. I had dropped out of school, but I think I was still in college. I was still in college, and I went with a college roommate, and I went to this town called Provincetown, Massachusetts. My, I went with this girl that I was playing piano for, and we went into this town, and we never saw anything like it. It was just like this one street, and it had all these performers in it. And we went one night to see this singer, Celeste. And my friend and I um, literally were became obsessed with her. And we went like we were there for like three days. We went every went to every show, and um, and I was so embarrassed because my friend um, that I was with was writing down in the middle of her show like all the songs that she was doing because she wanted to steal them and do them in her <laughs> show when we went back to college. And Celeste, in the middle of her show, goes, "Excuse me, but are you a critic? I see you writing down things." And I was so I was so mortified. And, um, and so she and and I was like so embarrassed. And she's like, "No, I was just I, I don't even think she admitted what she was." Anyway, we met Celeste after we went and saw every one of her shows. 
We were obsessed with Celeste before she was like the greatest voice teacher in the country, in the world. I love him. He was, <laughs> was like one of the greatest all-time performers ever, ever, ever. She doesn't do one anymore. And people that knew her in the uh, in the early 80s, okay, enough. 80s <laughs> got to experience her on stage. She was the greatest. And I got to play for her years later. But um, And so I literally, I told her I was moving to New York soon. And she said, look me up. If you ever come to New York, here's my number. And literally, we bumped into each other. To make a short story long, um, I literally bumped into each other on the street. On the street, and I said, "You're not going to believe this. I'm doing a show tomorrow night at Freddie's Supper Club." And she said, "I'll be there." It had tablecloths. It was a fancy. It was a fancy (laughs) club. And so I won't say the whole exact story, but she said. That was an interesting show. She said, but you were, you are one of the best pianist accompanists I've ever heard. I'm calling tomorrow, this one and this one and this one. And my friend Amy Ryder just is, is her pianist is really sick right now. And it was the time of AIDS. It was literally when AIDS was starting. Like that's how long ago this was. And she started recommending me for job after job after job. And every career thing that ever happened to me in the beginning because Celeste was there. That's all I'm going to say. So that's how we met, and we became fast friends. We're still friends 40 years later. And we talk on the phone almost every day. But let me just say this. What then happened, which was so interesting, is I was opening for Wayland Flowers, which none of your crowd would know. He was Center Square in Hollywood Squares. He had his own Very famous show. puppeteer. Puppeteer. He was Wayland Flowers and Madam. And I was opening for him, and Waylon said, I want your piano player. And I was, you know, nobody, and Waylon was a star. So Michael moved to California to play for Waylon Flowers. And then, playing for Waylon Flowers, Barry Manilow heard Michael. And that's how the next step came, which I was not there for. American. Yeah, but everything, but seriously, like every single big thing happened. You know, I tell people in this business all the time, Haley, this business is all who you know and being at the right place at the right time. And then once you get, that's what opens the doors. Being talented does not open doors, sadly, because we all have friends that are so talented that never got a break, that were around way before American Idol and before all those TV shows that catapult people to stardom without having to do the work. Um, But, you know... And then let me just... interject this what was so important to then my career was one saturday night michael was playing with christian chenoweth in boston at symphony space and Haley, you know i never take off work i was like a workaholic (laughs) saturday was my big day and i woke up in the morning and i said you know what i'm taking this day off and i'm going to take a train to boston and see michael play with christian so i took the train in i got to the hotel i took a cab over to symphony space i opened the door and Kristen says she's here she's here and i'm looking around like who the hell's here (laughs) and she said if michael loves somebody as much as he loves you i have to get to know you and that day changed my life yep and Kristen knows what i mean Kristen's worked with her many times and then i introduced cheetah rivera to her i i literally have sent so many idol kids to celeste they, she's. I, I don't know what she does either. I've watched. She is just. She's the best. I make everybody go to her. 
she's he does and then during the pandemic um we, he was yeah, the during the pandemic she sent everybody to me and just one hand washes the other we have great respect for each other and we have great fun together um, and we've done a lot of stuff together and look at how we taught we take that, podcast daily <laughs> honestly i would not like i was debating i'm like hmm, do i ask celeste do i ask michael and i was like honestly I think the people need to hear Celeste and Michael together. <laughs> like, if you're going to get one, you got to get both. <laughs> yeah, we have, we have fun together, and we, we respect each other. We work so great together because we we know when to interject for each other. We both we both chime in when we need to. We both, we both work together the same exact way. Um, and his, ta- his fortes are not mine. And, mine and vice me. versa. And yeah. vice versa. I don't know how to do the technique thing, and she and and, and you know the and the melody changing thing that I love to do is you know oh, what I mean so like good. we both have and 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 then we both love doing the audition cuts for college auditions. We both love doing that, so it's so fun to do it together, and we both love yeah. trying. You know what I mean? So it just it's such a great fit. He's like my brother. Aww. She's like my sister. <laughs> and I know all of his. And can you guys be my parents? <laughs> oh, you <are> not. <laughs> that might be dangerous, Tom. All right, so I want to kind of do a little bit of a little bit about you, Celeste. Um, because I think you guys do kind of come from a little bit of different backgrounds and then go into you guys have relatively different careers as far as who you focus on. So for you, Celeste, what would you say that you, who do you teach most of all? Like what kind of genre? Well, it's changed. I mean, I used to teach a lot of high school kids. Now that's the smallest part of my more adults, more Broadway people, more celebrities. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, people from all over the world now. This morning I had my UK people. You know, it's um, but it's basic healthy vocal technique and mm-hmm. if you sing well and healthy, you can do almost any genre if you understand the genre and the style. And you mostly focus on people who are more towards Broadway or pop singers? It doesn't matter. Singing, you know, it's not a, the only one I don't venture to teach proficiently is opera i send that to my friends that are singing at the met that teach you know because i I'm, I'm not good with the languages italian i can do but yeah now there's a lot of talk about as far as the music industry goes not so much i would say more so on the pop side which i'll kind of ask michael about but there has always been stuff said about there's the people that get found on their image and how they look and then there's the people who are found purely on their talent. There's, I feel like ever since stuff with like, you know, TikTok has come out and all the people that just look good dancing on it and whatever else, and they call that talent. Have you noticed a shift from when you first started to now for how you see people get into that spotlight? It, the business is so weird since the pandemic. Here's the thing that I find, and I want to. I want to see people work hard, have talent, work hard, and do the right things. 
you know, now you you get on TikTok. Now you do this. Now you do that. But the bottom line is you got to work hard. You got to have some talent. And in terms of what's happening diversity diversity wise, I love that larger women are getting opportunities. Certainly love that there's diversity in, in color in ethnicities. Um, I do um, I do have is- my own issues with body dysmorphia and weight. So I'm uncomfortable with I'm uncomfortable when I see a really large woman dancing half naked i get a little uncomfortable but that's my stuff Mm -hmm. it's i'm happy that a larger woman i have students you know that they're they're bigger they're size 16 18 and they're starting to get noticed now and one of my kids just had 20 callbacks at the um summerstock conferences and she's a good size 16 18 that wouldn't have happened in my day Mm -hmm. you know and the fact that because of body image stuff I didn't allow myself to be as free as I could have if I had felt better physically now if you're comfortable talking about it which you don't have to if you don't want to but because I know that when I was years and years ago when I was with you pretty often um that we kind of would like touch upon stuff like that and just like you know when I was uncomfortable when I wasn't feeling my best and all that kind of stuff um, now I very openly talk about the fact that I've had an eating disorder and I was anorexic for a good amount of time and I was bulimic for a good amount of time and you know, how I kind of went about my negative relationship with the gym and fitness and how I felt like I was doing everything right because I did lose a lot of weight the ways that I shouldn't have and everybody seemed to notice me after I had lost weight and praise me for the way that I look then. Now that you are able to kind of be more, I guess, because I know you never like blatantly mentioned it to me when I was with you and I love that you can just say that right now that you've had those issues and you do a body dysmorphia and all that kind of stuff. Well, I'm going to say this. I have battled with my weight my entire life. Mm -hmm. I had weight loss surgery. And during the pandemic, I was walking in the street uh, uh, around the lake one day and I saw somebody I knew and I turned around and I went the other way. I came home and I looked up Overeaters Anonymous and I'm down about 55 pounds. I go to a meeting every single... I'm in a 12-step program for eating disorder. And I know it's anonymous, but I'm very... If anybody has that issue, there I haven't binged in almost two years. I haven't chewed and spit in two years. I have. I can't believe I'm saying that, but um, I. Have You're to, open about it. It's not anonymous for you. You. It's not. I mean, it's a very whatever, and I. I love that you can discuss it. I love that. Well, because there are so many people like this, and you know, I can't tell you some of the things I've done with food, and I'm sure you, admitting it, you've done it too. But it is really nice to start to have a healthier relationship with food. And I have to say, it's changed my life. Good, that makes me really I happy. mean, I'm not skinny by any means, but I, um, I'm i not hiding all the time. I, during the pandemic, I thought, okay, I can just teach and eat. That's fine. Because I had gained so much weight during the pandemic. I thought, oh, that's okay. I'll just stay home and teach and eat. And then, no. This is so much more fun. And I just actually had a um, an interview the other day with this girl who I, um, I've looked up to the past couple of years. Uh, she actually was a bodybuilder. And 
you know, we talked all about eating disorders when it comes to bodybuilders. And she went viral on a Snapchat story because she left her bodybuilding show and she was recorded bawling her eyes out eating a sugar cookie because it felt so good to finally eat something that she wanted to eat. And she talked about how she checked herself into an outpatient program for eating disorder and how she was called an anomaly because nobody, one, nobody talks about it. Uh, two, nobody likes to talk to other people about it in general and say to anybody, yes, I'm struggling with this stuff. And it was one of those things where it kind of hit me that I was like, wow, like the fact that she was called an anomaly just because how many people never really sit with themselves and say, I actually do need help with this. Not something that I can just push it off and push it off. It's something that I actually could get help for and I should. People feel that if you're overweight, you have a willpower issue. Mm -hmm. It's a dis-ease. Yeah. It's a dis-ease and it's an addiction. So, and Michael can relate to this. We talk about this all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, Michael, oh, yeah. if you, if Michael, if you want to put your input in it, whatever, again, whatever you guys are comfortable with saying, you guys don't have to say anything else. No, 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 that. listen, I, I have a problem, I have a food problem with the food too, I let it stop me from social things, I, I mean, I, I, I totally, and I'm not, um, uh, anonymous about it either, and I'm just like, you know, I'm diagnosed with binge eating disorder, and I, I'm totally getting in control with it and stuff, but, I, you know, now I'm not binging, but I was just on a cruise ship where I didn't binge, but I made bad food choices. So, which I didn't binge about, but I, you know, it was, it's like all, it's like a vicious circle and it's stuff. Every day, one day. I don't know when it ever ends. I don't know when it ever ends. I felt really good about myself. The serenity prayer, right at the Maya piano. Well, it's the last time a Jew. I don't know that prayer. Um, we have one about money and stuff. Um, thing is, is that, no, the, the, here's the thing, but I, I too, like, I let it stop me. Like I will, like, I remember like at my heaviest, I would like make plans to go out with somebody and I, or and go out to a party. I would totally find an excuse or I lie about why I couldn't go. I was uncomfortable. There was nothing I could wear that I was comfortable in. I didn't have enough black clothes that didn't fit me right, that I just didn't want to go out anywhere. And it was fine. I was fine. I'm really happy being alone at home with my dog. And I just, but I, I realized as soon as I like felt better about myself and I was like, come on, let's go out. Let's go. You know what I mean? Like one like, time Michael was yeah. doing a show and he was in Las Vegas, Las Vegas or Atlantic city. And I was there and he wore sweatpants because my tuxedo pants didn't fit me. This is a big connection with Michael and I is it, it, it talking about our our bad relationship with food and how it look. I'm going to say this and I don't. Uh, uh, I think that if I had been thinner and had a better image of myself, I would have still been a performer. I'm really happy with my choices because I love teaching, but just like Michael. I would sit on a stool every just every which way. So when I was on stage, that I would look the thinnest. Like you can't hide fat. You were fat, Celeste. Right. You know. And I'm super aware of, you know, I dress very kind of eccentrically, and it started because I wanted people to look at the hair, the nails, the jewelry, rather than look at the fat. But this is a funny thing, Celeste, and we've you and I have talked about this too, um, Haley. This is what's so weird. We have people in our lives, we all do, that are 
heavy, that are overweight, that are comfortable in their bodies. And I did not grow up like that. And I'm so jealous of people that are okay with, I'm, I'm not one of them. I don't know how, what happened. I should maybe take my mother and father to therapy with me. <laughs> me up. But like, why didn't I grow up like that? I have friends that are, that wore a bikini. And I'm not going to name any names, Celeste, because no, 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 should be. But I'm just saying, like, I wish I was that. I wish I was that person. And I'm jealous of them. I am jealous of them. I have let body image and the way I felt get in the way. And when I was on Idol for 16 years and there was a camera in front of me, I was like, you know, so self-conscious about how I looked and everything and stuff. And it didn't stop me from doing my work. It was not like that kind of thing. But. It's so stupid. It is so stupid. And if I could do it over again, I would not. I would work on that all over again and go, you know what? Get the F over it. Nobody looks at us like we do. Look at ourselves. It's so hard on ourselves as we are. And I wish I could do a lot of it over with. And I've I've stopped doing a lot of things in my life, not career-wise. It never stopped me from a career thing, but... A lot of other things. I and it just it's it's so silly. And because but I wish I had learned to have been I wish I learned to have not hate myself as much. And um and I'm thankful that I didn't ever stop me from work and career stuff. Well it's, it's interesting because Michael will tell you this and we are both shy. And people go, What? Yeah. The truth is I'd rather be alone in my house. I don't want to go to parties. Michael says he's only comfortable being Mr. Personality and back behind the, the uh, piano. Right. And it's the truth. And I think that stems from body dysmorphia. And I do think, you know, my mother used to blow her face out when I, she would, I would be in the refrigerator, like puff it out, blow it out because I was fat. You know, it all starts somewhere. Yeah, and if it's not in this lifetime, it was in another lifetime, darling. <laughs> yeah, and Michael, I mean, I love how you were just like ready to kind of jump in the conversation too, because a lot of things that I talk about, not even just in my, you know, my master's program, but just with people, is the whole thing around how people think that men don't go through things like body dysmorphia or have eating disorders, which the girl that I had on, same thing, which you know, we were talking about bodybuilding, which in that kind of field is predominantly men, but. We, I have a lot of people that I'm friends with that even if I post anything about me having a bad eating day or me having a bad body day and that kind of stuff, I get an influx of guys who respond and say like, thank you for that. Or like, I agree and stuff like that. And it's, it's crazy to me how people think that just because it may be more shown with women because of maybe the way that certain men were raised. Yeah. That they don't speak about their feelings. They don't talk about their emotions. Like did you get to a point where you all of a sudden kind of flipped that switch and were like, I'm ready to talk about it? Or were you kind of raised in a way that you felt you could? He always joked about it. I, yes, I did always joke about it, but now I can be really serious about it. I did always joke about it. Mm-hmm. I always did all of that stuff with humor. And, um, but I think, no. And I mean, like, you know, and I, one of my dearest friends is a neuroscientist and one of the smartest people I know in the whole world. And, you know, she's like, you have such severe body dysmorphia and I was like because even when I lost weight I yeah like, you tell him he looks good and he goes no no because I, I and I really I have to learn to see that because mm-hmm. I don't it's, it's not good 
and I know it's not, but I'll I'll get there one day before I'm seventy. Well, you know, Haley, in my meetings in the morning, there's a meeting seven days a week, seven fifteen to eight thirty, and then an after meeting, an after party, and there are tons of men, mm-hmm. and they're from all over the world. Men have this also. It's mm-hmm. not only to women, but men can get away with it a little. Yeah. Yeah, but and I feel like it's one of those things that like they feel they can like the whole they can get away with it is because it's not shown as often. But I mean, when it comes to even stuff that you guys go through, I mean, a lot of times I'm even just from stuff like watching Idol, you get these emotional breakthroughs because of the process that you go through and whatever else. What is the kind of shift that you guys have seen with your relationships with kids that are younger and opening up versus the kids or the people that you may work with that are older and opening up? Do you see like a difference with one's easier than the other? I don't think the kids are opening up about their disorders. I no, but I try to encourage people to like that. It, I try to encourage people, especially like I work with a lot of young kids. A lot of them are from Celeste, but a lot of my most of my students are like between seven and seventeen. I work with a lot of young kids here, and I try to encourage everybody to not care about that stuff because I, I I feel like it doesn't matter as much. But I might be misinformed. I I, I believe that we should be a little bit accepting and and uh, and loving about that but then there's the other issue of health mm-hmm. i don't like seeing really large people on tv when i think you're saying that's okay but that's healthy unhealthy right yeah i mean a lot of times like i see on like um again like i refer to stuff like tiktok and instagram all the time just because that's one of my i'm actually probably going to do like my um my thesis and stuff on the people that develop depression after the use of social media, but, um, I, I always see people that would technically be considered overweight, everything that they post, the first couple of comments that they get is stop glorifying obesity. Stop what? Glorifying obesity. And it's one of those things that nobody goes up and posts a video and writes, this is my weight, even though I may not look like it. Or that, uh, you know, you might be surprised, like, there's so many times that people think that they are doing something good by pointing out the fact they don't want people to be glorifying something like obesity, in the sense that they think that because of somebody's size, they shouldn't be doing something. Like, like heavier cheerleaders, or heavier performers, or heavier dancers, and that kind of stuff. And it's that whole stigma that because you're heavier, you can't do it. And I think that's why it's been such a thing that people are, like, being so supportive because they want to make sure people know they can do whatever they want regardless of their size. But I agree with the fact that there is a point where sometimes it just is unhealthy. Yes. The other thing that is interesting to me is this. Glorifying obesity. That's so interesting. Have you ever seen, besides Lizzo, is that her name, Lizzo? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Someone who's gotten famous and hasn't lost weight. That's true, but you know what? What about the people that lose, like Sam Smith? He got all skinny, and now he's gained his weight back. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I hope, it, I mean, you know, Adele was a big girl, and she just stood there and mm-hmm. sang, I loved her so much. Now she's lost weight. She's not skinny, but she's definitely lost a lot of weight, and she's she was gorgeous when she was a big girl, and she's gorgeous. Yes. And she still she got, feels better, I'm sure, then. Yeah. You just know, feel but my, better. But I'm just saying, like, I, I don't know, but 
so wait, what you were saying, like, did any any of those big girls, did they gain it all back? No, I didn't say that. I just said, I, I, I think people are happier in a lighter body. I mm. just feel it. I'm sorry. It might not be a popular way, but when you've been fat your whole life, I know that I walk into a room, I'll sit next to somebody, and I don't feel bigger, or t- you know, I, I can't theater. I didn't want to go to the theater because I felt smushed in it. I just, I don't know anybody who's fat and comfortable in their skin when they're that, when they're fat. Mm-hmm. And now there's a whole thing about that, you know, when you get to be considered plus size, that you're not fat enough to be this extent of plus size oh versus God, yeah. you are oh. too big to be, you know, it's. It's like you think that you can never please anybody, but then you get to the point where it's like you try to publicly address the fact that, like, this is my size. I love myself for who I am. And again, just because you may be overweight, everybody should love who they are. But I also agree with your point, too, that it may be a lighter body, but it also may just be a healthier body. And That's right. feeling um, a, a healthier every single day. I, uh, it's the first time in, I can't tell you how many years that I'm under 200 pounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have been over 200 pounds the last whatever years. I'm not skinny by any stretch of the imagination. But I feel feel good. I feel good. My blood work, no diabetes, no high blood pressure, no cholesterol. But I'm not thin. Mm -hmm. But I'm comfortable in my skin now. But what do you consider to be thin? Oh. Well, like when you say I'm not thin, is that because you are not, when you say that you're not thin, is that you saying that you just aren't done with how much you want to lose weight? Or do you like have a picture in your mind that when you get to that, you consider that to be thin? Is it a number? It's not a number because I, no, it's not a number. The only time I weigh myself is when I go to the oncologist and then they say, oh, you're down five pounds or, or, you know, you're up. So, um, um, Okay. Even if yeah, I hate lost- that we're obsessed with a number and a scale. I hate that. No. I hate that totally because, I don't you know, my doctor is too, and I hate that. It's not right. Yeah, my cardiologist is obsessed with me losing another 20 pounds, but I don't have any heart issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I was going to say was, it's not, for me, it's not... It's the way I just feel. And the other thing is, is I have lots of expensive clothes and they're just starting to be too big. And I can't go out. I can't afford to buy the things that I've collected over the years that are like art, you know, wearable art. Mm -hmm. And now I have to go buy new stuff. I'd rather stay at my size 12, 14 and be able to wear all these things that I've collected over the years so if you're at a 12 14 now and you think of being thin what size would that be zero six four you want to get to a zero no i do not want to get i'm 68 years old i want to just be healthy and look and look i'm 68 oh shit wow am i 68 (laughs) or 67 and i you know no i don't want to be a zero in another lifetime, maybe. <laughs> How about you, Mikey? <laughs> like, Michael, when I'm you think about much. wanting to lose weight, same thing. Like, do you associate it with the whole idea of you want to get thin? Or is it that you want um, to continue to feel healthy he's and still... Thin. He had a I belly go up and down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, I want, yeah. instead of M-O, Mo, and my initials, I want to be yo. Like, yo, yo. <laughs> 
<laughs> he once wore a pair of pants. I'll never forget this. Black pants with a double belt, and the belt went around the waist. I was like 19 years old, thanking you in advance for your prompt attention to this matter. <laughs> Ask her what you had for breakfast yesterday. She might not remember. She remembers no, that. No, I'll remember. I'll remember. <laughs> All right, Michael. So now I'm going to put you on the spotlight. Um, so you have worked with American Idol for how long? I worked with Idol for 16 years. Okay. <laughs> and what was your position on Idol for people that don't know? Uh, standing up. I'm kidding. Was, <laughs> come on, get, get it, Celeste, my position. <laughs> he was the uh, music. Um, I was an associate music director, pianist, arranger, co- vocal coach, um, therapist to the children, um, everything. I mean, I was like their dad. I was, you know, really the closest thing they had to when they had nervous breakdowns. I was just, you know, it was the greatest job ever. And it was in the idle heyday when people actually cared about that show and before it was as manipulated as it is. Well, what? Did I say that? <laughs> what? Now, for all the years that you worked on Idol, what was the biggest shift that you noticed from when you started to when you left? Like, if you were to think of one thing that stood out to you, it could be mental health-wise, it could be whatever you think of. What was the biggest well, shift you noticed? I would musically, because what happened in the beginning, when the show was um, the big, huge hit it was, uh, the thing I loved about most about the show was that it was um, it was such a family show because parent like I would see people all the time and they used to go oh my my kids and I watched the show and um, you know it was a sh- it, it was a it was all music it was you know like six it was 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s it was all kinds of music and like, like parents would watch it. And they would love all the songs because it would be the Motown songs and the 60s songs and the kids would be learning all this music. And and then the kids would have all the songs they loved and the parents would be learning the music. It was all different. As um, as other shows like uh, like The Voice came out and they would start, they started losing um, uh, viewers. They would start having to keep up with shows like The Voice and all those shows. And so they would go okay now kids this week nobody only two people can sing a ballad and everyone has to do a song that was written after the year 2000 like they were afraid to do new things they would it was just it was they took away like that you know when when the show started and our two executive producers ken warwick and nigel lithgow who were the geniuses behind the show they literally would come into the room they were so into that show they would come into the room when kids were if it was like you know Motown week that week and the kids didn't really always know every Motown song they would come into the room and it turned into a piano bar and they would I'd be at the piano and they would go okay you don't know that song let's let's do it Michael and we would the two of them would get up and do a song and dance and I would start playing the song and they would like sell the song to the kid and it was just like the greatest most fun party every day at work every day Mm-hmm. And we were working night and day because, you know, it was a hit show. And so, you know, every, there was a lot at stake and um, it was just, it was a joy to go to work every day. We'd work till sometimes midnight, one in the morning. We'd have to be back the next day at eight in the morning. Nobody cared. Everyone just like was having a blast. Again, it just, and then as the show started losing viewers, like after season nine and 10, 
you know, then all the executives from the network would come in and say, we have to hear everybody's songs. We have to make sure we approve them. And while the execs couldn't say to them, we don't like your song, they would make the kids question. They'd go, you sure that song's going to work? And they'd make the kids question their choices. While I would sit there and go to say to the kids before we go into the little executive run through, you guys like your song? Don't let anybody talk you out of it. You just worked on it for one hour. You tell the, you make sure you let the executives know, no, I love my song. I just worked on it for one hour. I, I, I need two more days and it's going to, I promise you, I'm going to sell the crap out of it. Mm-hmm. And I, my kids always did. And, um, you know, and, and I said, and if you don't feel that, then let them give you suggestions. But um, they weren't always happy that my kids were like that, but my kids always sold those, sold those songs. In the meantime, the one thing I hate that I that I dislike about the bad thing of the negative thing about all reality TV, when Celeste and I were growing up in this business, and we can't even we don't even talk about the people that Celeste worked with now, like Cheetah Rivera, and that I worked with Kate Ballard, and all those people that were in older show business. Their work ethic was everything. Those people worked night and day and they did shows all over the country and they they took classes eight hours a day to learn their craft american idol and shows like that gave kids a false sense of success because they turned into these overnight stars without ever having to do anything and so that's the only thing i never loved about american idol because oh and the people that you see that are successful today, like um, like Kelly Clarkson, even the ones that didn't win, like Justin Guarini and Catherine McPhee that came in second, and Clay Aiken that came in second, and Chris Daughtry that came in fourth, and Jennifer Hudson that came in sixth or seventh from the end. All the people that have careers today that didn't win are, be- are because they have unbelievable work ethics and that didn't try to cheat the system. And the ones that even won or didn't win and don't work today it's because they didn't and they thought they could just keep doing this overnight success thing. And it's, that's the only thing that I wish that we could have taught these kids afterwards is that, you know what? We, we all, Celeste and I and all our friends that we worked with, we worked in, uh, you know, everyone's like, you never had to be a waiter. I said, you know what? I worked in from 9 p.m. to 4 a.m. That was my waiter job. And I learned, and I'm so glad I did. That was like Mm -hmm. my, breeding ground for we're learning every show tune ever written that was the greatest thing ever that was and that was i couldn't be happier and i don't know if i appreciate it then but when i look back now i go i'm so happy we had that that we did that we were in the heyday of the piano bars you know like and we never really did straight jobs michael and i are very blessed i i the only straight job i ever had was i worked as an assistant at the Gage Group, which is a West Coast East Coast agency, and I learned the business. That in was the business, only- yeah, you were in the you were working in the business. Uh, the first three months I moved to New York before I met Celeste, I did. Uh, I was a temp. I because I I typed really fast, and so I like signed up at a temp agency because I typed like ninety four words a minute. He and- really wanted to be an accountant. <laughs> well, my mother and father wanted me to be an accountant, <laughs> but I couldn't live out their fantasy. Um, anyway, but so that's but that's really really my idol story. It did change, and I wish everybody a lot of luck on that show. The music business changed over over time, 
and where in the beginning of beginning seasons, kids would put out a record and it would go triple platinum in three months. Today, kids put out a single, and if it doesn't take off, those kids get dropped from the label. Do you know what I mean? Like, do you like the music industry how it is right now? I think it's really scary. I mean, I think it's also exciting. What I love about it is that there is no more. Too, you're too young. To you're too old. You're too big. You're too small. You're too one color, or you know what I mean. Like anything goes now because stuff goes viral on TikTok and and on on Instagram. It, you know what I mean. Like, and my I love that a forty year old can go viral on TikTok. I mean, and, and that's what I love now. Now anybody can have a hit single out there. Now, what is your guys' take on the people that get famous for posting stuff on social media? Do you think that they underestimate what it takes to actually be successful in the industry? Or do you think that they're kind of given the kind of route that they have to go because the people that pick them up want them to make them their money? They'll learn fast enough. I think so, too. I think so, too, that they'll learn fast enough. And I think that... Some of them are incredibly talented. I just got contacted by a friend of mine who's an agent who works with this young boy who like sang like show tunes in a in the back of a car, and they're like everyone's reaching out to him to be on the, all the talk shows and stuff, and they want me to coach him now. And I just think he's so talented. I mean, like, and the fact that he went viral, I mean, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. It's one of those things that I feel like people look at the people that go viral and they're like, they don't actually have any real potential. It was one video. And then they kind of prove them wrong, which I love to say. (laughs) Right. No, I love that too. But listen, some of them disappear as fast as they come. Mm -hmm. And, um, but the ones that sustain, it's kind of cool. I mean, it's kind of cool to watch. I mean, I get into a lot of them too. I mean, like, um, you know, my buddy Dylan uh, Mulvaney, I mean, like, she's like, just huge and our friend Kevin Kevin Chamberlain like mm-hmm. he just keeps coming up with more and more brilliant things on his on his um TikTok it's like I think if you're really creative and you find creative it's like a creative outlet for people especially you know during that pandemic when people like were stuck at home but I'm jealous I wish I knew how to do it I wish I I'm not, to- yeah, I, know. I barely know how to do it <laughs> It takes so much like, work. Oh, it's the consistency piece, oh, which... Said, my fitness thing just said 261 calories. You can still do it. Screw you, fitness <laughs> app. Here's what I got to say to my fitness app. <laughs> yeah, baby. What are you eating? Salad. <laughs> I have one more question for both of you that you have to answer individually. All right, you, so you first, Celeste, while I masticate. So I want to start a thing and I started with my first podcast guest and I want to kind of have it be a thing with everybody that comes on Um, because I'm such a big advocate for I want to put things out there into the world so that other people that feel like that they're alone can feel like there's somebody that gets them and somebody that's also going through it for the people that you feel like you resonate with or that you feel like may look up to you. What would be something that if you could put it out into the world and you could say it to them, what would it be? This life is too short. Walk through your fears 
as painful and as scary as it is, try your best to walk through your fears. Look at yourself honestly. Don't be afraid to say, I'm sorry. Don't be afraid to say, I'm wrong. Don't look at anybody else. Just look at yourself. Look at people that you look up to and why did they get there? And have integrity and honesty with yourself and with the world. And be thin. <laughs> and before she starts getting too emotional, let's just let's just end it with that. I love that. Thank you. Go ahead, Michael. I want to hear what you're going to say. Wait, I just texted that to her and she read it from me. <laughs> well, then, Celeste, you have to go again. Um, that was mine, Celeste. Now, read. Now, do your own. I'm kidding. You know what? That was so good. That was so good. I literally... I, uh, I, listen, I work with kids a lot and I see, I don't even know if this is going to make sense, but I see, like, I meet kids who are like, when I was a kid, I was so shy. I was so awkward. I still am when I'm not at my piano, I told you, but I see kids and I always know when I work with a kid or even a teenager, when they come to me and they're so, um, not cocky, but so confident and so like comfortable they're so fine meeting strangers like right away they're so comfortable in front of anybody and um i i am so envious of that and i just um i wish everybody could be like that i always try to like tell people like when they go into an audition that they need to you can't like i know everybody's nervous in an audition setting it doesn't matter but you have to just like go in there and like, that's why I tell people to go to auditions all the time, like, because eventually the right one's going to come. Even if you're wrong for something, the right one's going to come and you're going to be less oh. nervous. It's just going to be like the right one for you. And even if it's a wrong one, a casting director is going to remember you and call you back for something. But like, be in there and just walk in confidently. And like, I, I'm so envious of these kids. I wish I could tell everybody to walk through life like that. Like, I see these kids that go and they're so shy and they go, I want to be in show business there, but they're so shy and you can barely hear them when you talk and I want to go, but you gotta, you gotta get all that other stuff going first. You can have the best voice in the world, but you gotta get all that other stuff going and then we can talk about it. I couldn't introduce you to an agent until you have all that other stuff going. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Uh, voice is only one aspect. It's a, it's a package. You know, Michael has said also, uh, the young people, there's one girl who's, Olivia Sanabia. She was mm-hmm, 17. so talented, and Celeste has worked with her now. But Michael introduced me to her. I was like I was meeting an adult. I mean, and it was, she was useful and wonderful, but she was, there was something. And that is the parents. I mean, I don't know about you, but my parents didn't like say, be who you are. They were always like, shut up. You talk too much. You're too loud. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Well, we come from Jews and Italians. What did we? What did they want? Well, I was I, supposed to be thin and pretty and marry a rich man. What were you supposed to? An be? accountant. 